And we're live. Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined by Electrex publisher, Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. Awesome. So we've got a lot of interesting e-bike and other e-mobility stories this week. Uh, just a little preview here of what we're going to be talking about. Indian Motorcycle and Super 73 have teamed up to release a fast new e-bike. We also have new e-bike models from Rad Power Bikes, Yamaha, and Ducati, believe it or not. That's an electric bicycle. Um, we're going to be talking about a country where one in three adults rides an electric bicycle. So you've got about 10 or 15 minutes to try and think about what country that is before we get to that story. Uh, we'll be covering GoGro's new first ever solid state swappable electric vehicle batteries. Polaris is also testing some pretty cool new uh, electric vehicles, some ATVs, a side-by-side, -side, and a snowmobile. And Honda released their first production electric motorcycle, but there's a little catch with that one, so we'll get to that too. Where are we starting today here, Seth? All right, at Indian, Indian Motorcycles and Super 73 release a fast e-bike that won't need a motorcycle license. Tell us about awesome, that. Awesome, yeah. So uh, this is an interesting new e-bike. Some of you might recognize this as based on the Super 73 S2. So it's got a familiar frame, but there's some big changes here that came about with this partnership with Indian Motorcycle. So uh, one of the first big changes is the battery is moved from the top tube down to the down tube, gives it that lower center of gravity, and it also makes room for this really long saddle it's i mean the thing looks like it's almost a yard long i think that's probably the the longest e-bike saddle i've ever seen uh, there's also a, a new headlight uh, looks like a new fork and a gold chain which i'm told is supposed to match indian though i don't know too much about indian motorcycles since they don't have any electric motorcycles yet but i will say that this is a, a pretty nice looking bike it definitely takes those Super 73 vibes, but they've brought in a lot of the sort of Indian branding and the Indian styling. What do you think of this one, Seth? It does look nice. Um, <clears throat> I know it's a, it's a hardtail, um, so that's going to be a little bit um, less comfy of a ride than um, some of Super 73's other high-end bikes. But, you know, obviously with those big tires, it's really not going to be that big a deal. Um, yeah, they do have the uh, the R series, which I think when we were in Germany, you had the uh, R series that we were able to borrow from Super Seventy Three, and that one had the rear suspension, right? Yeah. That was yeah. Nice so this power. one, yeah, it looks like they went with the S on this one. Probably, I'm guessing, keeps it more affordable. the The S series starts at I want to say about three thousand. Though, if you do pick up the new Indian version here. Uh, this one costs four thousand, so you're paying about a thousand extra bucks for the Indian specific uh, upgrades here. Some of them are, are pretty nice, you know. That fork looks nicer. Um, I'm sure it rides nicer with a lower battery, but that's a serious premium over the S2, which you could get for you know a thousand bucks less. Well, that yard saddle isn't really going to come free, is it? That that's true. Yeah, you got to pay for that extra mile that's, of uh... of saddle up there. <laughs> That's some serious of saddle. <laughs> um, is this rated for two people? Is that something you could do? So there are mounts for foot pegs back there. I uh -huh. think it actually comes with them standard. You okay. could definitely fit two people on that saddle. Right. Um, 
it's just uh, you know whether or not you, you've got foot pegs back there. But Super Seventy Three does have uh, mounts on a lot of their e-bikes now. I think actually all of the models now might have foot peg mounts so that you can carry a second rider. Though some of the models you do have to get a longer saddle because the the shorter saddles would be a little trickier to fit two butts on. Now <clears throat> there's a lot of room. This is something we talk about a lot with these uh, Super Seventy Three type bikes. There's a lot of room under the seat, um, and obviously that's a is that a 1.2 kilowatt hour battery? I, I see think the this one... is the one kilowatt hour, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Um, is there something where you could get a second battery or a bigger battery, or you know, if like that? I know Super Seventy Three modders love to go nuts um, on stuff. Could you put something in that that area down there? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a ton of space, especially on this S frame, since it doesn't have the R's rear suspension. I mean, I think you could fit two or three extra batteries right. in there. You just have to find a way to wire them in. I mean, you could have them like dummy mounts, so you just swap in the battery into the actual, um, you know, front cradle there. So you could uh -huh. just, you know, move in your your live battery when the first one's depleted. But you know, if you wanted to get fancy and and wire them together in parallel or something. I imagine it would probably void your Super 73 warranty, but it'd be a pretty cool way to make use of all that extra space. That's for sure. Your motor would run a little hotter probably, huh? Uh, if, you, if you use the batteries one at a time, I think it might be fine. But <laughs> yeah, be, be crazy to put them all in series, right? Yeah. 10 seconds of glory. <laughs> yeah, a little melted, melted motor. All right. Up, up next, we have uh, Rad Power Bikes launches a new low-cost Rad Expand five electric bike replacing the mini yeah so this is the newest uh rad e-bike it's also the second most affordable now so the rad expand five is 1299 dollars it's only a hundred dollars more than their most affordable uh, most affordable bike which is the 1199 rad mission and so this one is a very different bike from their rad mission which is really their budget model this one is a folding fat tire bike the bike that everyone seems to compare it to is the electric XP 2.0. Uh, basically it gives you that, you know, folding fat tire ability. So you've got sort of the best of both worlds. You've got a bike that you can, you know, throw in a trunk, you can bring around, take it on the subway, but you still have four inch fat tires that you can ride on sand and dirt and gravel and really anything you can, you know, hit a big pothole. Now I will say that there are a few things that rad sort of took away here to get down to that lower price. You'll notice there's no suspension fork there. That's a rigid fork. And so uh, compared to the Rad Mini that it's replacing, we've lost the suspension fork, and we've also lost the uh, LCD display. So it's gone down to that simpler LED dot display, which you'll find on the Rad Mission. And, you know, in my opinion, that's always been fine with me. Like, you know, I don't really need to know if I'm going 18 versus 20 miles an hour. Like, that kind of granular data is, is not as useful to me, I would say. But um, I know there are some people that like to be able to go into the LCD and, and modify it to get to the higher 25 mile an hour speed. So you're not going to be able to get that if you um, don't have that LCD display anymore and you've downgraded to that. Um, so there's the, the image of the Rad Mini that we're right. replacing here with the Rad Expand 5. So you give up a little bit, but you actually get some other interesting things. So you get included fenders, you get an included rear rack. So there's um, you know some interesting... Uh, included parts here that, you know, you don't get on some of these other budget bikes. So while you are paying a little more than something like the electric XP 2.0, and granted, you're not getting that same 28 mile per hour top speed, you're only getting a 20 mile per hour speed. The thing that I always point out with Rad Power bikes is that 
you're getting sort of like the the comfort and peace of mind of of the biggest e-bike company in North America and the service and support that goes along with that. So, you know, if you have a problem, they can have a, a rad power or a rad mobile van pull up in your driveway to help you fix the bike. Um, you know, if something breaks, they'll pick up the phone when you call, that sort of thing. So I would say, you know, dollar to dollar, it's not the the highest bang for your buck e-bike out there, but I've always been impressed with Rad's service and support. And so I think there's a lot of value here for sure on the lower end of the spectrum. What do you think of the design? So it, immediately, I think this is like halfway between uh, the Rad Mini and the and the Rad Runner, like the uh, the step through like low bar. Definitely has like a, a feel of the Runner, and, and the Runner was a little bit like you know uh, lower um, components, uh, you know, without having a, a front fork. Uh, no display on the uh, or no LCD on the display, um, so it definitely takes from there. Obviously, there's a, a little bit of a geometry difference um, to get that folding ability. So, you know, if you were in in the market for a Rad Runner and you wanted folding, like this is pretty much perfect for you. Yeah. The other cool thing it adds over the Rad Runner is you get the seven speed transmission. So that's true. You know, I know that you're in like a really hilly area. So for you, that might actually be pretty nice. You know, with the yeah. Rad Runner single speed, some people, you know, especially in hilly areas, want those lower gears to drop into. I could see, especially for your case, having that seven speed is nice. You know, I found the Runner was actually pretty okay for hills, um, you know, uh, speed wise, but. Um, I had the problem at the top end where at like 20 miles per hour or even like 17 or 18, I'm, a, I'm assuming because there's no, you know, LCD, uh, <laughs> you can't get your legs. You can go that fast, but it's like quite a bit of work to make your legs go fast enough to hit the 20 mile per hour speed. So this having the gear uh, thing would help in that regard as well. So that's on the low end and the high end, it's going to be much better. So that's great. Yeah, definitely. I've always been a fan of single speeds, but all the time when I write about single speeds, I see people in the comments, you know, begging for a derailleur. So I definitely think that this was a way to uh, address those concerns from Rad, especially for people that were interested in a Rad Runner, but maybe didn't want to upgrade to the Rad Runner Plus for like an extra, I think it's like three, four hundred, maybe five hundred bucks just to get yeah. that uh, transmission. Though you do get, you know, the the nicer passenger package, the suspension fork, whatever with the um rad runner plus that's those speaking of the passenger package i think that is an important thing to point out here that uh if you go with the rad runner it's a really good bike for carrying someone this rad expand five you're probably not going to get an adult on back you might be able to put a kid's seat and carry a child but uh you know two adults are not riding on this yeah that um that joint right there on where the thing joins the uh the, the bike frame looks a little thin does it ha is there a weight rating on that on the back part um, I don't have that in front of me. I'm, I'm sure there is. I mean, usually Rad builds these things pretty well. And of course, right. they're going to be able to hold more than whatever the lawyers let them print on the spec sheet. So I wouldn't worry about it in terms of, you know, putting like a, a 50 pound load back there. I, I right. think that's probably going to be fine. But 150 pound person, maybe not. And then uh, spoked wheels. Uh, I don't know if those are, is there an option for like a mag wheel on this one? Rad hasn't done that on any of their models okay. yet. I, I could see it potentially in the future. A lot of companies are moving to it. Um, Juiced is big into it. Right. So 
I, I could see it. It just removes one more possible concern with, you know, spokes loosening up or potentially breaking. Yeah, and but, balance uh, as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially like if you just uh, knock something and you bend one spoke, then your wheel can be a little wobbly. Yeah, that, that's that been a problem for me at least a couple times. Yeah, so I could see that in, in Rad's future, but unfortunately there's no stock option for any um, cast wheels or, or mag wheels like that. Cool. So when are we going to uh, get a review of this one? So this one should be coming soon. I'm excited to test this one out. I imagine the you know performance is going to be pretty similar to all of Rad's bikes. It's got that same motor, same battery and everything, but it will be cool to try the the new style, the new frame, and also the head tube angle is apparently a little uh, slacker, which is supposed to give it some you know nicer handling, perhaps track better. So I'll be excited to test that one too. I'm hoping that's in the next uh, week or two. That's great. All right, moving on. Yamaha reveals a fresh looking new design for their new for an electric moped plus uh, new e-bikes and scooters. So this isn't a production model. It's it's uh, obviously uh, a concept. Well, it's so that's the interesting thing. It, uh -huh. This is they're calling it, I believe, a concept, but they actually are working with a Italian company. I'm pretty sure they're Italian called Fantic who already unveiled this bike and has this in multiple models. And now they've teamed up with Yamaha. And from what I can tell, Yamaha's basically taken their design and put a Yamaha badge on it. There seem to be a few small changes here and there, but really it's the Fantic, uh, I think it's Isimo or Isimo. I'm not sure how to pronounce the uh, Italian name. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think this is going to be too far out from production since they've already basically worked with an existing e-bike company on the design. And, and so I think we're going to be seeing this one sooner rather than later. I, I mean, I, I hope so because it's a pretty neat design. It's got that truss frame and it's a really cool looking bike. Now it will be probably a speed pedelec in Europe, which is basically like a class three e-bike in the U S so we're talking, you know, 28 miles an hour, 45 kilometers per hour. Though I think in Europe they were talking about having a um, sort of normal electric bike version, which means, 25 kilometers per hour, 15 miles per hour. And that would allow everyone in Europe to use it without needing a moped license or registering it. Because I think in many countries in the EU for a speed pedelec, you know, you have to get a little license plate on the back and it's, it's a bigger deal than just a, a simple electric bicycle, which is considered a bicycle. Yeah. The look is crazy. Um, you know, the joining the front and the back is that like, I don't know what you call it, like a truss. Um, is that flexible? Do you know if that like is going to bend? Is that part of the suspension? I don't think it's supposed to be. Um, I if I think if it flexes, you're having a bad day. It looks like <laughs> it could, but I don't think it's meant to. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that's I, interesting. I, I'm sure they're gonna you know go through all the the necessary CAD to make sure that doesn't uh, flex on somebody because that would be a problem. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like a, a really cool, like, I, I haven't seen anything like this. I wonder how it, like, it's weird that it has a bike seat that looks more like a scooter. Um, there's just a lot of, like, weird little nuances for it. If you're, if you're not watching a video of this, um, it's kind of hard to explain. Like, it kind of looks like a front of a bike and a back of a bike connected by, like, a, you know, a, a bridge almost. Um, <laughs> and the the bike itself has, like, fat tires, but, like, uh, kind of like a smaller tread. Um, and there's a lot of like just weirdness um, about it. Like the, 
like, I don't know what that is on the front, why that front area has to be so chonky, I guess. Um, but you know, there's obviously reasons for all this, all these different, um, <clears throat> decisions. Uh, so there's some other bikes in, in this, uh, Yamaha switch on picture. Are we going to see yeah. or these, these, what's going on here? Definitely. So uh, there were actually six different bikes unveiled as part of this event. On the left side of that image, there are two sort of mopeds or scooters, depending which camp you fall in, uh, in terms of uh, naming these things. They're sort of like Vespa style scooters. And so these are the um, new Neos, and these are both uh, electric scooters that are going to be one is a 50cc equivalent, and one's more like a 125cc equivalent. And so these uh, are not concepts. These are supposed to actually enter production. So uh, I think Europe is going to enjoy these before the U.S. would ever get you know, a chance of being able to ride these. But they're going to be nice entries into that sort of low power moped market. Yeah, we're always behind on this stuff, on the good stuff. Definitely. It's funny, this, this then, picture, it's kind of like a you, go, you start from a bike and you get thicker and thicker and thicker until you're like a scooter and then almost a motorcycle at the end. It's, yeah, it's, it looks like that sort of caveman evolution picture. Right. It's like a gradient of bikes. Yeah. Um, so those are 50 and 20, 125cc electric scooter equivalents. Um, what's the legal stuff in the U.S. when and if they come here? Um, in the U.S., the we don't sort of have the L1, L3, L whatever categories the way the EU has. Um, I know some states have various motorcycle licenses that are sort of delineated in terms of um, like A versus A1. But I think in most U.S. states, it's just going to be considered a motor class, motorcycle class vehicle. And as long as you have a, you know, a basic motorcycle license, you'll be able to ride those. The 50cc one might fit into some states' moped laws, which... Um, some states you can get away with a typical driver's license if it goes, I think, up to 30 miles an hour. But the U.S. is complicated just because every state has different laws there. Yeah. And so and about these e-bikes, what's uh, new and fresh about these? Sure. So there were three uh, electric bicycles that were unveiled. Two of them are actually uh, coming to the U.S. They're the uh, Yamaha Wabash RT. That's the one in the middle there. And then there's on the left side, two of the Yamaha Crosscore RCs. So the Wabash is a gravel bike. It's got those drop bars, uh, Yamaha's mid-drive motor. And now it's got an integrated battery in the frame that replaces the previous Wabash that had sort of the um, external bolt-on battery. And so this is actually a really nice gravel bike. I've only ridden the original version. Um, this new one isn't out yet. I think it comes out later this month. But, you know, the original one was a great ride. This is a little pricier. I think the original was somewhere in the mid 3000s. And this one is 4100. But as far as, you know, high end electric gravel bikes go, that's about par for the course, I would say. Then on the, uh, the left side, those are more like sort of commuter trekking style e-bikes. You know, they got the flat bars. They're a little more upright than, um, you know, the Wabash, but they're still not, you know, like a, a cruiser, super upright. Um, or like a leisure bike. Uh, those are the cross-core RCs. And those are, I think, $3,100. So you still get the nice Yamaha motor, um, very nice components. And, you know, Yamaha knows what they're doing when they're building electric bikes. These aren't just some mail order, you know, imported whatever bikes. Yamaha's been doing this for like decades. So these are definitely very nice bikes that 
uh, at least in the U.S., we'll get to enjoy these, unlike probably those electric scooters that Yamaha Europe is going to be producing. Yeah, and we're also we're not getting the uh, the mountain bike here, right? Uh, so the mountain bike, they if you scroll up to that picture of the six vehicles, mm-hmm. the mountain bike was sort of digitally camouflaged, and they didn't talk about it very much. They gave very few specifics. But when I look at that camouflage, what I see is that picture of the yellow motor uh, mountain bike you were looking at, which is, yeah. the I think, the YDX Moro. And so either they're just going to release that bike, which we've already had in the U.S., in Europe as a new model, or they're going to you know, release sort of an upgraded or a new version of it using that same frame. And so the fact that it looks pretty similar to that one and they didn't talk about it makes me think that, you know, it's based on a similar bike. And um, I don't think it's anything revolutionary or like a totally new model the way the the two other bikes were. Okay. All right, moving on. Ducati launches a new racing electric bike, not motorcycle, and it comes with a Ducati size price tag. Yeah, so right, right off the bat, I'll just let you know it's eighty five hundred US. That's a lot of money. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely a Ducati price, right? Right. So this is their first uh, road style electric bike. They've done several mountain electric bikes, uh, teaming up with uh, Thok bikes, but this is their first, you know, really like, you know, Lycra Sunday hundred mile ride uh, road bike and. The, this is called the Ducati Futa, which I got several emails from people telling me that there's another meaning for that word, which I would imagine Ducati did not check Urban Dictionary before they named it. So that's a fun one for everyone to go on a scavenger hunt for. Um, but it's actually, it's it's a pretty impressive bike. I mean, you can buy an $8,500 pedal bike. So you know that there's going to be a lot of nice parts in here. The entire thing is carbon. I mean, I think probably the only thing that isn't carbon fiber are the reflectors because just about everything, like the wheels, the seat posts, the handlebars, uh, everything. Of course, the frame, um, it's it's all carbon fiber. It's got wireless automatic shifting. Um, I mean, this is, you know, a very, very high-end electric road bike, which us, you know, normies would probably never get the chance to ride something like this. This is for people that are like super, super dedicated, which I have to wonder how big is the overlap in the Venn diagram between Ducati fans and super high end bicycle, like road bicycle people. Like I just, I'm not sure. And then also add another Venn diagram bubble of uh, bikers who don't, who want a motor, but not a big motor. Yeah, absolutely. So I think maybe you might be looking at the whole production line or whatever. This might be more of a uh, a very small niche niche market. Yeah. And the funny thing is they even have within the Ducati Futa, they're making 50 limited edition of these that are going to be like, I think, $13,000. So even of the like creme de la creme of Ducati racing e-bikes, there's an even higher level, which... I'm not even sure there's 50 people out there that exactly. are going to be at that level, right? Like, right. I mean, that's that's a, a very niche group right there. So that'll be an interesting one to see. But the, well, the kicker cool. here, yeah, yeah. I mean, the 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 crazy thing also is if you look at the rear wheel there, uh-huh. that's the hub motor back there. These aren't even mid-drive bikes. Oh wow. Yeah. Right. Like so. Normally, 
if you've got a really high end electric road bike, you're going to have some fancy mid drive motor in there. Unless you're Stromer. Um, these are, yeah, unless you're Stromer. But these are our hub motor bikes. So that's another surprise there because hub motor bikes are usually a lot lower cost. It's just, you know, an older technology. So this is like a, you know, a surprise wrapped in a riddle. Yeah. Uh, maybe they'll have a couple years to sell those limited edition bikes. <laughs> I have quite a order log. All right. Moving on. Um, the country where one in three adults rides a, an electric bicycle. Right, so I hope you guys have been thinking about it. You probably guessed it. It's the Netherlands. Like if there's one like bicycle friendly country, like that's, that's who it's going to be. So the Dutch apparently are super into e-bikes. I mean, all over Europe, e-bikes are, you know, sound like hotcakes, but a new study from the light electric vehicle association came out with data that shows uh, just over four and a half million uh, Netherlands residents rides an electric bicycle and that there are also 4.9 million e-bikes in the country. So some people are apparently doubling up and that represents about one in three of all adults. There's also some interesting data that showed sort of the demographics of who's buying these bikes and it skewed more towards people in the 50 plus demographic. And uh, they described it as people who are of average or above average income. And that also seems to track for European e-bike riders where you know, somewhere like, you know, the Netherlands, you're already going to have a lot of people that are into bicycles. And so you're not trying to convince, you know, someone who wouldn't ride a bike normally. Generally in, in Europe, it's going to be a lot more people that are getting back on a bike that might not have been able to do as long of a commute as when they were young. And, you know, these bikes in, in Europe, they're going to be significantly more expensive than in the U.S. because there are a lot of just nicer locally made bikes you know we're looking at a gazelle there and you know they make those bikes in europe and so you're going to be paying higher prices versus a lot of the imported e-bikes we have in the u.s i feel like you have the biggest hill in the netherlands pictured here like it's, netherlands is not known for having hills or or uh anything really um but electric bikes do help uh get going faster and i think uh a lot of especially the older folks really enjoy that you know getting around really efficiently so yeah definitely and also getting to work without you know having to to sweat on the way there right. i mean i think we're both lucky that we get to work from home but i know i wouldn't want to get to like an office job like dripping in sweat and so if i could right. use an e-bike to get there and and you know get in a little bit of exercise but not be all moist when i arrive that's that's a big advantage for me yeah and this guy with the the van move looks looks more like uh He's got the uh, the right idea there. Yeah, and check out those socks too, right? I, mean, I know, I really like the socks. got the whole thing. I'm loving it, yeah. All right, moving on. Um, Gogoro, uh, this is kind of interesting, um, unveils world's first ever solid-state swappable electric vehicle battery. I didn't even know solid-state was like in production now, so th this might be one of the first main solid-state, you know, main big company kind of kind of things well don't get too excited it is technically oh. a prototype so they're not in production of you know they're, they're not rolling out hundreds of thousands of these things okay. um, just for background in case anyone's not familiar with gogoro they are an electric scooter and electric battery company that makes swappable batteries they usually go into light electric vehicles like scooters motorcycles that sort of thing and so they have battery swap stations 
where you just pull up in your scooter, you take out your depleted battery and you pop in a new one, just like out of a vending machine and you continue on your way. So you never have to charge at home. You don't need to, you know, charge anywhere. They're just, they're big into swapping and they've basically become sort of the de facto battery swapping network for light electric vehicles. They've built over a million of these batteries and they've got hundreds of thousands of swaps per day. So they've always used, um, you know, lithium ion based chemistry, but they just revealed uh, what is the world's first solid state swappable electric vehicle battery prototype. And so they worked with a company called uh, Prologium. It's also a Taiwanese company, just like Gogoro. And Prologium makes the cells. Gogoro makes the battery management system and the case, as well as the whole swapping infrastructure, you know, the, the network, the, the swapping stations and everything. And what they're saying is that they'll be able to increase the capacity from the 1.7 kilowatt hours of the current Gogoro batteries up to uh, 2.5 kilowatt hours, which is about a 40% increase. So obviously that means, you know, 40% longer range or 40% longer between battery swaps all in the same battery case, which is of course going to be backwards compatible with all of the uh, GoGro electric scooters that are already out there. So this is, in my opinion, like a really big step forward in the yeah. swappable battery industry. Uh, that's huge, actually, 40% in one fell swoop. Um, so, you know, the obvious questions, like what other advantages are, you know, obviously more range is great, but um, are these less of a fire hazard? Do they charge faster? Um, yeah, yeah, they hit, hit the nail on the head. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the big advantage here is is basically safety and uh, charge time. So without getting like too nerdy here, the the sort of dangerous thing with lithium ion batteries is dendrites that are basically like these sharp little um, like sort of crystal structures that grow within battery cells over time. They're they're very small and it takes a long time to grow, but very occasionally in um, batteries that aren't produced to the highest standards, they can actually grow through and puncture a, a membrane divider in the cells. And that's what causes a short circuit. And then a battery will explode. Now this is very, very rare, like just super, super rare, but it can happen. And it occasionally does happen. Um, you know, we've seen electric vehicle battery fires. You know, we heard about, what was it the Samsung note, uh, a few years ago where there was the big recall. So that's usually the issue is these dendrites. So yep. with solid state batteries, these are um, lithium um, ceramic batteries, I believe. So there's a very thin but very hard ceramic layer in the middle, and it prevents any dendrites from actually growing through and creating that short circuit situation. So these are never going to be able to explode. Um, I've seen people just like basically cut these cells in half and nothing happens. Whereas if you did that with a lithium ion cell, bad things would happen. So, uh, you know, like a huge, huge safety improvement. You could drive a nail through these packs and they wouldn't start smoking or, or catch on fire. That's really cool. Um, also weight, is it similar weight? So it's about the same weight. Yeah. I, I asked them that question when I was talking about the uh, packs and they had to go and check for me, but they said that, yeah, it's something like, um, 9.2 kilos, I think, which is about standard for, uh, what the packs are now. So it's definitely an increase in the energy density. It's not just like a, a heavier pack. Um, and then the other thing that, that you had asked about, which is true, is the, the faster charging times. So I think Prologium in the past has floated 12 minute charging times, oh, which wow. is 
you know, quite, quite fast because even DC fast charging, you're looking at between 30 to 45 minutes for most, um, you know, high, high power lithium ion batteries right now. So 12 minutes is a huge improvement. All right. So obviously this is exciting stuff. Uh, when will we see these in actual bikes and how much extra will it cost? So TBD in terms of when they'll be available in bikes, they're, they're not giving any hard dates on that yet. I don't think that the technology is commercializable to the point where they can, you know, not lose money by producing these things. It's still a very expensive process. Um, they, they floated that by the middle of this decade that they would be able to put 2.5 kilowatt hours in these packs. So I don't know if that means they'll be producing by the middle of the decade, you know, we're talking like three years from now, or if that's when they'll have like, you know, the first ones that, you know, they'll use on a trial basis, but it might not yet be profitable. So that's still uh, to be determined in terms of the, you know, the, the timeline there. Uh, in terms of pricing, the cool thing about GoGrow is that you don't actually buy the batteries because you're just using the swapping network. So you buy a scooter either from GoGrow or any of GoGrow's partners, which they partner with companies like Yamaha and others that build, uh, you know, other electric scooters around GoGrow's batteries. And that means you actually get a cheaper electric vehicle because you're just buying the scooter with, you know, the motor and no battery. And then you use GoGrow's network and there's some monthly subscription fee that's either based on the energy you use or, you know, the number of swaps you do, that sort of thing. And any other news with GoGrow? Have they decided to move up or down market at all? Like, you know, e-bikes or small vehicles other than scooters? So I was actually talking to uh, Horace Luke, uh, GoGrow's CEO, and while he didn't confirm that there will be any like neighborhood electric vehicles yet using these batteries, he was really excited about that as a potential path. Because once you have 2.5 kilowatt hours in a battery, I mean, you know, small electric cars like um, what's that five thousand dollar car from from China? The um, the Wuling Mini, something like that. Yeah, that's like the GM. Uh, yeah. So so that one, I think it's like nine kilowatt hours, the battery right. in that one. So, I mean, you could have four of these GoGoRo batteries in there. Right. And it's like, you know, taking out four lunch boxes from the trunk and carrying them inside is the you know, equivalent, though, I guess in this case, you wouldn't carry them inside to charge. You'd just put them in a swap station and immediately swap them. But I'm even like motorcycles. I feel like uh, four of these would fit in uh, a motorcycle and could, you know, be, be interesting. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, GoGrow, they've been expanding with partnerships uh, with major manufacturers in India. Um, there's Hero um, Motorcycle in China with Yadea and uh, DCJ with a Indonesian company. So they're partnering with a lot of motorcycle manufacturers that also make scooters. And so I'm not sure exactly which vehicles these are going to go into, but there's definitely the opportunity for GoGrow batteries to wind up in larger uh, electric motorcycles. Yeah. I mean, if you're an electric vehicle manufacturer, uh, it almost, you know, it's kind of tempting to just like, Hey, we're not going to deal with the batteries. Let's just make the vehicle and let GoGoRo basically pay for it. Absolutely. And, uh, so if we can just one other quick little nugget about GoGoRo before we move on, this okay. was a really cool story that it actually, it didn't get a ton of views, but it's a really neat, neat story that in Taiwan early last week, there was a nearly nationwide power outage. So almost the entire country was without power for about nine hours. 
wow. gas stations shut down because they couldn't pump gas. People couldn't charge electric cars unless they had, you know, off-grid solar. But the only thing that was left running were thousands of Gogoro's battery swap stations. So anyone who had a Gogoro scooter or like a Yamaha or an Ion or any other scooters that use those batteries could still roll up and swap batteries just like normal because the stations are actually powered by all those dozens or hundreds of batteries inside of them. So they just kind of island and then they can run for a few days on their own power, which that was a really interesting real world test. Yeah, I wonder. Um, so if we can do that, obviously, um, you know, you put one of those stations somewhere and you got um, like load load bearing, you could, you know, during like a super peak, you could have it sending power into the grid, um, you know. Like yeah, absolutely. A rare time. So I wonder if that's something GoGoro's. I'm sure they're pitching that as uh, one of their I, capabilities. Yeah, I think they already have that functional. In fact, they've talked about how they can actually pump back into the grid in cases of, uh, you know, nationwide emergency, that sort of thing. And so it's already an advantage of those swap stations that they can do that and, and flow both ways. Yeah, uh, can't wait for those to come to the U.S. All right, moving on. Polaris uh, shows off test vehicles for electric ATVs, uh, Razor side by side and even electric snowmobile. And we should note Polaris, I think, owns Indian, right? The Indian brand? Um, that's a good question. I'm not positive about that, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know too much about Indian. I know they're working on electric motorcycle, but until they have one, I don't right. have so much of the backstory. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, uh, these look pretty awesome. Yeah, so these are uh, just test vehicles. Polaris was very careful about saying, you know, they're not committing to producing these yet, but they did show off that they're testing multiple new electric vehicles. And this, of course, is after their um, already in production uh, Polaris Ranger Connect XP. That's the electric UTV that they're making. So that one's, you know, already in development or already in production, rather, that they worked with zero motorcycles to put a basically a zero drivetrain into an electric UTV. And now they're showing off these future test vehicles. So, uh, you know, we've got two different ATVs there. One is a child size ATV. One is an adult ATV. Uh, we've got that side-by-side uh, -side RZR, which is going to be a lot of fun looking. Uh, again, you know, they, they don't say that this is definitely going to become a vehicle, but by looking at how far along they are with these test vehicles, I can't imagine them you know, giving this up because that just looks like too awesome of a product right there. And then they also have a uh, one of the Polaris snowmobiles that they're working on, an electric uh, version of that one. So they're hard at work on multiple different electric vehicles to follow on the success of that uh, electric Ranger. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. Um, we, we'd heard or seen uh, Montreal-based Taiga had a, a snowmobile, um, but I think this is the only other one I've seen. Um, yeah, so this, I mean, it, it could be a while before it comes out. Taiga's already in production, so, right. you know, hats off to them because they've spent years in development, and so you know, deservingly, they've got that that first model. But you're right that this would be an interesting sort of challenger to that. And of course, Polaris is a very large publicly traded company with a lot of resources behind it that could, you know, seriously expedite this development process, not to mention the fact that they're working with zero. And so, you know, it's kind of like those companies that partner with Gogoro and they, you know, borrow Gogoro's batteries to build electric scooters. So that's sort of what Polaris did. You know, they have the vehicle expertise Zero Motorcycles has the electric battery and motor expertise, and together they're making some some pretty awesome electric off-road vehicles here. Yeah, and it'll be nice to see these go into production. 
Um, and Polaris, they're they're the ones based in uh, Minneapolis or near Minneapolis. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Well, well, hopefully we'll see some of those here pretty soon. Um, let's see. Honda uh, releases their first production electric motorcycle. And it's probably not what you're hoping for. But unless you're eight years old. But the CRF <laughs> comes with a small catch. Yeah. So the small catch is that it is a very small motorcycle. So this thing's a little over 100 pounds. And it is designed as a kid's electric dirt bike. Now, that doesn't mean it's a toy. It's got like a 2.5 kilowatt motor, which is a lot more powerful than most electric bicycles designed for adults. And so this thing looks like it could rip. You know, it's it's designed for kids, but it's got a lot of power there. It's also got like a 100 pound weight limit. So, you know, it's not like just for eight year olds, you know, some slightly older kids, you know, probably up to like 12, 13 could could probably get some good air on this thing. Some petite ladies, perhaps. Potentially, yeah. <laughs> I, I can see them having some fun on it. I mean, it's got it's got the power. It's got the it's got a big battery too. It's like a nine hundred and sixty watt hour battery. I mean, this is not like a you know a razor or a Power Wheels toy. Yeah, there's a, yeah. a lot this of capacity here. Yeah. yeah, and so uh, I mean the I mean the suspension, like this is hydraulic brakes. This is certainly far and above what you'd think of when you think of like a uh, you know a kid's toy electric dirt bike now it's not cheap uh let me see where i have the price here i think it's something like uh 28 2900 something like that so you know it's it's gonna cost a pretty penny your kid better be real into learning to ride dirt bikes to to buy something like this but yeah. uh, it's it's also gonna be an easier way to teach them you know like they don't have to learn to feather a clutch they don't have to deal with you know like a finicky two-stroke engine it's a, it's a lot nicer, in my opinion, as a way that if you're going to be teaching your kids to ride, this would be the way to do it. Plus, you know, you can swap the batteries in and just like keep riding all afternoon. But I think it's got something like a two hour runtime. So that's about most kids attention span right there. Exactly. Um, well, it's, not, you know, like we'd love to see a lot more from uh, Honda in this regard. Uh, so I guess it's a good first start. Yeah, you, you got to start somewhere, right? And then they do have some prototypes out there. You know, they've been playing with, I believe, a full-size CRF. So, you know, something like a probably a CRF 250 or maybe not a 450 for their first one. So they could be following this up with some real full-size electric dirt bikes and electric motorcycles. And, of course, they have, you know, full-size electric scooters for adults. I think it's the uh, PCX is like a 125cc equivalent or so. So they're, you know, not... Um, absent in the adult electric two-wheeler market, but they've got some catching up to do for sure. Cool. All right. Uh, let's go to the Q&A. Um, we got a few questions. If you do have any questions, uh, you have a few minutes to uh, put them in the chat now. Um, but we'll start at the top here. And it's... Um, so we did check out the bike from Indian. It's It's funny that you mentioned that but i wonder if she means connie wait means that there's an electric bike coming from the real indian but we don't know yeah about that they um they are working on the development of electric motorcycle it's not anywhere near production yet at this point but um we've covered a little bit of the the development process on that one so it's still kind of a a wait and see what they're coming out with cool and uh, while we were talking i did research that in Indian is owned by Polaris. So pe perhaps maybe um, their own, you know, 
some of the stuff we were looking at before will also trickle sideways or whatever into the Indian building stuff. Um, moving on, uh, Tyler Hilliard asks, when will Gogoro come to the U.S.? This is a, obviously a very important question. It would be amazing, as he says. Yeah, Do you have so the date? I don't have any inside information. I have asked the CEO multiple times and the vice president, two very cool dudes, and they both seem like they're interested in the idea, but that they're focused mostly on Asian expansion right now. And the reason being that the market is just so much larger in Asia, where right. uh, two-wheelers are the main form of transportation in many countries like you know, China, India, Indonesia, three countries where uh, GoGrow has already expanded. So while they talk about how the U.S. would be nice, and it sounds like they're not anti moving to the U.S., it just seems like the market isn't large enough to make that a priority yet, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> they're in some European places. And <clears throat> I know uh, Berlin, I think, had some. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, Berlin, they were they were there as part of the um, coup uh, ride-sharing company, which I believe those were then either bought by Tier or Tier somehow got their own. And so now Tier operates GoGro scooters in um, uh, different, I think, several cities in in Germany, Berlin, Munich, I believe as well. I think we saw some when we were in Munich at the yeah. uh, IAA. And then um, they're also coming to Israel, which they announced like two or three years ago that they'd be coming to, to Israel. And then that was like a month before Corona hit. So those plans got delayed, but that's still on the map. So I think that could be perhaps the first Western country where they're actually available for purchase, as opposed to like in Germany, they're only part of a ride sharing network. You can't actually buy your own GoGoRo. Yeah, maybe they'll come to the U.S. via the same, you know, tier or, or whatever, like micro mobility company. Exactly. Yeah, I think tier just bought uh, Spin, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So it it's possible that they could bring them in. Now that would require the scooters to be homologated to DOT standards, and I'm not sure how tricky that would be. If they already meet European standards, it might not be too hard. Well, I think Spin was well. They bought the company that was kind of owned by Ford the micro mobility company, right. which I think is spin. And yeah. if, if that's the case, they probably, well, they probably have some expertise in us homologation, but I don't want to make any assumptions there. Um, all right, moving on. Yeah. Um, Polaris does own Indian. Yep. Uh, thanks Mark. Um, what electric snowmobiles come to, I don't know what that, those words mean. All right. Extreme range anxiety. Who's going to tow you today? I don't know what that is either. I think that's related to the um, the Polaris off-road, like the side-by-side. -side. I think like if you you know run out of charge in that, how do you get towed home kind of thing? I think yeah. that's where he's going with that. I guess. I don't know. Um, Indians are red and have a sharp look and longer-lasting battery. Hmm. Okay. All right. Leroy Jenkins. Why does that name sound familiar? Uh, do you think Yamaha will... Uh, make a new WR250R or WR300R or an electric WR250? Um, eventually, but it seems like they're starting with all the small format stuff. So they've got like 50cc scooters. They've got um, some concepts for 125cc scooters. So before we get into the real bikes and like the 250s, 300, 450s, 
it's, I think it's going to be a while before we, we see anything that large there. The company just hasn't shown any interest in sort of real full-size electric motorcycles yet, at least not on the production side. They may have prototypes for these things. Um, you know, we've occasionally seen hints of that. We know that they're working on a um, battery, a swappable battery consortium um, that uh, Yamaha joined with, I believe it was uh, Kawasaki, Suzuki, and Honda. So, you know, those bigger bikes might require something like that. It's possible, but I don't see it happening in the next few years. Yeah. Um, if you are looking for an electric bike in that range, I guess you don't have a lot of options. Maybe the Zero FXE or whatever. Yeah. Um, or the FX. Uh, unfortunately, Alta, rest in peace um is no longer with us so there's there's not a lot of options there are a few uh chinese options coming there's that new suron storm b which is their higher power one oh, yeah. however that one seems to be I'm not sure what the production story is there because there are multiple models around the world now like i think the dealer in australia got one i've seen them in a few places um Actually, I think the Tel Aviv dealer might have gotten one, too. I need to go check that out. But um, I don't think they're actually in full-scale production yet. I think they made several sort of production prototypes and sent those out to dealers. So uh, there are some interesting bikes coming in that sort of realm, but I think it's going to be a while until we see one from Yamaha. All right. Steve Sauer, or Suzer, says we don't have the same market for scooters in the U.S., which is obvious. Yeah, it's it's like microscopic compared to Asia. The tidal wave of scooters in Asian countries. Yeah, it's it's true. It's sad because scooters are a great way to get around inexpensively, especially, you know, if you're complaining about gas prices, electric scooters way to go. All right. Uh, this might be our last question. Randy Green says, whatever happened to the Damon electric motorcycle? You familiar with so, that? So, yeah, that's an interesting one. So we've covered Damon several times. They unveiled at CES uh, twenty. 20, I guess. Yeah, it was like January of 2020. They unveiled the Damon motorcycle. It's a super tech-infused, really awesome-looking sort of a Street Fighter electric motorcycle, something that would certainly challenge Zero and Energica. Um, it's got some neat features like 360 radar that would, you know, kind of like in a Tesla, let you know like what cars are around you. It's got, um, it's supposed to like morph so you can sort of move the foot pegs and the handlebars in the saddle while you're riding to get a different sort of sportier, more relaxed seating position. However, uh, in the last few years, like all we've seen is sort of like, you know, press releases like, oh, we're going to like add this to the model and uh, we're going to like start production eventually. And I think they, the last press release I saw was that there was going to be uh, a new facility being built for production in Vancouver. It's a Canadian-based company. But I haven't actually seen any progress on production in over two years now since the unveiling. And, you know, I know they've taken reservations, but without any real progress, it's it's got me a little bit worried that this could be, you know, borderline vaporware kind of thing. Maybe they'll come through, you know, but we just we haven't seen it in years. And I'm starting to get a little worried about Damon. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe uh, some of the folks over there can reach out and give us an update. All right. I think that's it for today. Want to take us out? Sure thing. So uh, thanks for watching, everybody. We will be back in another two weeks where every fortnight we talk about the latest uh, electric bike and other two-wheeled electric vehicle news. We'll catch you guys back here next time. Thanks for listening.